If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Man, you know what I hate? Uh, government? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually hate government. <laughs> See, people, people like, you know, even, even my wife at times looks at me and is like, they, they perceive my position to be anti-government. And, and I would suggest, or my response is, the conclusions that I come to, in generally speaking, are opposed to government solutions. But I don't start from the premise of anti-government. Okay. So, anyways, what do you hate? What do you? What do you hate? What do you hate, hate Joel? <laughs> Lobbyists. Lobbyists. <laughs> and and you know the reason I say that is because you know lobbying. They're 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 trying to persuade the government to use their monopoly on force for their benefit. And so rather than using persuasion with someone to say, hey, give me your money and I'll do this for you. They're using government to say, hey, give me your money by or take money from the people by force so that I can do X, Y, and Z. Right. And that ties into our topic of today. We're going to be discussing... Uh, Judge Donald McLeod and uh, some of the justice justice yes that's right uh, justice uh, Donald McLeod and some of the hot water he's gotten into uh, with his with his organization that's being called a lobbyist group um, man it's crazy I don't know man it's just what a black man can't be a judge anymore shout out to Uncle <laughs> Phil man like <laughs> 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 this guy's a straight up. He's, oh, that's hilarious! I didn't even think of that. Well, Uncle Phil. <laughs> yeah, he's basically Uncle Phil. Yeah, yeah, he's Uncle Phil. But but Uncle Phil would would uh, would, would it, uh, I don't I don't know I don't know if Phil, Uncle Phil would um do what uh, Justice Donald McCloud did or would he? What do you mean? Wasn't remember he was him the whole there was an episode where there was a few times where they referenced like he did it pre being a, a, a judge, right? Like he grew up in the. Like, don't you remember from Fresh Prince that, like, him and um, his wife would, would basically be part of, like, I don't say clan. Uh, oh, no. Okay, no. no when, okay, but, but, like, when they were, um like, part of black civil rights stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, I remember that. Um, But I guess, you know what I was thinking about where um, Philip Banks used his clout to intervene on behalf of Will and uh, Carlton when they um, yes. when they got arrested for driving while black, um, and and, and then, yo he told he told that white police or police officer off man I was like get get him Uncle Phil yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so oh, man fresh prince. yeah yeah so we have Phil Uncle Phil um, doing that any more advocacy stuff uh, nothing I mean he I think he he ran for you know he got elected. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I remember watching that episode recently. He, oh, oh he, and, and he, he took a bite out of the sandwich. <laughs> the film when, when, uh, when, uh, when he was running for office, and then uh, 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 Will did a remix of his promo commercial where he's taking a bite out of a sandwich. 
But I was going to say he lost, but then the other guy dropped dead oh, and yeah, they yeah. basically gave it to yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, the good old days uh, of Fresh Prince, uh, man. Legendary, uh, legendary show, man. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so back to the, the, the new age Uncle Phil. The new age Uncle Phil. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, for those of you guys listening don't know what's going on, uh, so what we're going to be doing is discussing uh, the case and the three things we're going to be addressing is um, the organization that he's a part of. There's a lot of argument and debate about um, was his group a lobby group or not. And we'll talk about why that's important to the discussion. Uh, the second thing we'll talk about is there um, an ulterior motive from uh from his black opposition so there's opposition against the black judge from black people and then the last point is um is it possible for um him to be uh judge mcleod to be both judge and advocate for the black community so for those of you guys who don't know ontario justice donald mcleod was cleared of judicial misconduct um in december 20 2018 by a disciplined panel of the Ontario Judicial Council over his involvement with an advocacy group called the Federation of Black Canadians, FBC. So the council is now um, alleging that McLeod committed perjury and or misled the hearing panel at the hearing regarding his involvement in the uh, deportation case of former child refugee abdul abdi according to a notice of hearing fil uh, filed with the council now at the first hearing mcleod testified he was not involved in the federation's advocacy work regarding the abdi case so contrary to his evidence um, at the hearing justice mcleod was involved in the fbc's efforts in this regard, including arranging and or participating in a meeting with the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, the Honorable Ahmed Hussein, on behalf of the FBC and the, the council alleges. So now the second disciplinary hearing is set for July. Uh, none of the council's um, allegations have been proven. So yeah, so just just to to reiterate, as I understand it, um, based on a statement of facts that was accepted, um, it was the the original case, which is what you're describing, that he was involved with the advocacy, was dismissed based on him saying that he wasn't involved with either the meeting or the arranging of the meeting. Um, and now the second hearing is somebody has come forward claiming that he committed perjury in that statement of facts. Um, and, and that's where right now the, the hearings, as I understood it, were from about December 11th to the 23rd, uh, 2020. So as of day recording, we haven't heard any outcome. You know, there's a potential if you're while you're listening to this, then the, there could be news. Um, and if there is, I'll make sure that it's in the show notes page. Uh, and, and potentially we'll be, you know, having a part two on this if the news, depending on how the news comes out and, and what's the significance of it. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have to make sure that we come correct with the details. So like in response, uh, the file filed with the Judicial Council, McLeod's lawyers argue that the evidence at the second hearing will show that he did not commit perjury or intentionally misled the um, the discipline panel. So McLeod did meet with immigration minister in January 
2018, but not about the Abdi case, um, his lawyers were saying. So McLeod's lawyers uh, were arguing that uh, the evidence will show that the council did not interview anyone with firsthand knowledge of the meeting with the minister, uh, which forms the basis of the perjury allegations. It's, man, there's, it's a, there's a lot of layers to this because it even goes on to say that according to a complaint received by the council in March 2019 and which was um, redacted to cover the identity of the complaint. The allegations mm -hmm. against McLeod stem from a blog post by Toronto journalist and author Desmond Cole, who has covered McLeod's discipline case and his role with the Federation of Black Canadians. McLeod also faces allegations that he misled the first disciplinary panel about having um, disengaged from the activities on behalf of the FBC and that he appeared at political events on behalf of the FBC in 2019, allegedly engaging in behavior that could have um, been seen as impermissible advocacy and lobbying yeah and, and you know what's it's important to note that um i think from the first hearing as well as you know the number of articles i'll put a bunch of them in the show notes page you know my understanding is it seems like you know uh don mcleod was very forthcoming with you know ontario court of justice you know making sure that when he created this organization he was doing it the right way he seemed to be you know, this seems to be the case that he was trying his best to sort of separate both his judicial role from uh, this this group that he was creating, and and so you know, and for the listener, the idea is, you know, he's not he shouldn't be using his prominence as a judge in order to give the this organization undue influence or excessive influence that would sort of compromise his position as a justice that is supposed to be objective mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so would would you say that the fbc is a lobbying group i mean and if and, you and, were and, to and, sort sorry, of take... and the reason why sorry for, for the listeners the reason why this question is important because um if it's a lobbying group then it's a political organization that yeah, then it kind of looks like a political organization, meaning um, if if the government does them a favor, then they'll do a favor by supporting a particular political party. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I would say that that concept isn't, you know, clear in the sense of it's, it's, it's sort of a gray question to begin with. Um, and the reason I would say is like, you know, are they you know, involved with changing laws, like what's the purpose of the group itself, right? So are they lobbying the government for funding? Well, it looks like it, but is that because they are trying to get access to funds that are already sort of programs that they have and they, they submit their, you know, proposals to complete those programs? Um, is that qualify as a lobbying group versus what you said of like, oh, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Um, I think it becomes, it's not so clear anymore. Um, and, and I don't know that it ever was clear as, as a concept. So, I mean, at the same time, this is where I said to you, like, you know, I hate lobbyists in general because of the concept that they're trying to change laws or that they want, you know, funding from the government to complete a program. Whereas if they are applying for a government program that already exists, 
I think that's clearly not a lobbyist because the program is already pre-existent and they just submitted their application. Now, I, I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of giving a vague answer and, and hashing it out in my head because, you know, in general, I don't like the concept of lobbying, um, but I also want to give them some grace. But it does seem like they sort of have some funds earmarked out of budgets. At least that's what some of the, like the McLean's article sort of made, that I think, that claim, as well as you know, Desmond Cole, you know, speculates that he, that this group is buddy, buddy with the, the liberals. And so there's supposed to be a, a bipartisan or a nonpartisan organization. And so in that sense, I think this is where if they're nonpartisan, then they wouldn't be a lobbyist, but if they're partisan, they are a lobbyist. Again, I'm sort of creating my own terms of, of the way of defining it. Um, because again, I'm sort of saying it's, it's not so clear. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's what's your thoughts on on this idea, lobbyist uh, claim? Uh, well, I think that he he makes an argument and he says that initially he went to the ethics committee. So it says that uh, he then sought the advice of the judicial ethics committee of the Ontario Court of Justice, corresponding via email with Justice Peter Tetley. So included included in in the activities of McLeod, he told Tetley the FBC would engage in, he said, um, they would interface with the government, which can be seen as lobbying, perhaps not traditional. He asked if there was any issue with him being um, affiliated with the group. Tetley from the um, Ethics Committee said that the Ethics Committee had no ethical concerns provided the FBC was not a lobby group, but a conduit of important information relating to issues of significance to a defined group of Canadians. Right. So he goes on. So what what uh, McLeod is saying, you know McLeod is to saying uh, to some extent, and it's all a question of degree, the work of Federation had gone beyond um, purely educating government because there was some ask, quote unquote, involved yeah and and, um you know what comes to mind with the first i think as a really good example if any of the listeners remember our uh episode with dina warren the idea of potentially like i know this is sort of an analogy example but remember when we were dealing with the court case and there was the concept of an intervener and there were people that basically wanted to give testimony in the court case because they felt like they had something of of significance to contribute to the decision and so that sort of sounds like what the original structure of the organization was, where, you know, when the government wants to understand, let's say, you know, black Canadians perspective on an issue, they can come to this group for understanding. And so that level of interaction is non-traditional in nature and may be perceived as lobbying. Now, that's sort of part one. Part two was then you're saying that's migrated now into an ask which might be the funds component. Um, and and that's where I go back to, well, if they're getting funding related to a government program that's for black Canadians, um, but they didn't ask for the program to be created, that's where I'm sort of saying it gets a little bit gray. Well, well sorry. The, well, he created, the, he created this organization after a young lady was shot and killed and she was pregnant and the baby died, a 33-year-old woman black woman who died and he was kind of like fed up with the whole situation and he was moved to start this organization to uh, help black people uh, in his community 
right? So, uh, yeah, personally, uh, I would say it's it's not a lobby group. Um, one because like I think of uh, public choice theory, and public choice theory is when um, a lobbyist group would basically, you know, fund so give funds to a political party and the political party will in turn uh, pass laws for them. I don't think the FBC has that kind of clout um, to do that. Now, uh, I'm sure Desmond Cole might can probably make the argument, well, they're probably working towards building that kind of clout to to get things done that way. And, I, and you know, I guess for me, when it comes to these political, when you're, when you're lobbying and, and trying to get government help, it's... You know, politics is never a fair game, and it's always like you know, my, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and so I, I think, yeah, right now I don't think it's 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 a political party, but I think it could um, a lobby group, but I think it, it could eventually um, evolve into one. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point, um, and I, I think um, you know the idea of their at least it doesn't sound like they're explicitly supporting particular candidates. They don't, um, it doesn't sound like they have significant sort of, let's just say reciprocal funding agreements, right? They, they, they fund a particular politician's, you know, re election campaign or anything like that. Yeah. Again, sort of the traditional lobbying structure, you know, they, they support a particular candidate, they get that candidate elected and now that candidate works with them to get certain things passed. Um, that doesn't seem to be the traditional relationship. So, I mean, I'm not saying the criticisms from, from Desmond Cole don't, have potential for for concern but it the, i think his dilemma or, or anyone's dilemma criticizing this group as a lobbyist is it, it it's non-traditional in the nature um and so i would argue the bar the evidence bar is going to be really high to argue that non-traditionally this group is a lobbyist group yeah um it's, it's very fascinating because when you think about like yeah, you want to get things done and you want to help your people and do some community work, but eventually it eventually grows, right? It grows and you want more and more. And so I guess that leads us to the next question um, with the pushback that the FBC and um, Judge McLeod is receiving from other black organizations, namely Black Lives Matter and Desmond Cole. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, you know, it almost looks like you've got a, because um, I mean, you wouldn't regard Federation for Black Canadians as a as a right leaning group, if, uh, am I correct? Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, if, and, and I mean, if anything, they're probably more left leaning, especially since you know Desmond Cole, for example, makes the claim that they're you know um, he used the term thinly veiled front for partisan liberals, right? So, so if anything, they're a left group and they're being criticized by the far left. So, you know, it's a bit, a slightly peculiar scenario to try to navigate, um, you know, what, you know, in, in regards to like, what are the ulterior motives, right? Like, is it that, I mean, the simple, I think the simplest example would be Donald McLeod and his organization, I don't think is on board with the idea of defund the police. They're on the on board with the idea of reforming the police. And so you've got a, a conflict there in terms of agendas that if 
you know, you're the Black Lives Matter organize or, or supporters, uh, you're going you're going to see this group as um, a potential roadblock to getting your goals achieved. And so not to impute a motive or to make any claims, but I can see a reason why they would take issue with him and want to see him taken down and his organization taken down. Whether or not it's, you know, I'm not saying that they're, you know, do any means necessary sort of approach, but I can see a rationale. Um, and, and Jamil Giovanni had a, an episode of uh, his show um, from December 7th. On Talk 1010. Yeah, on Talk 1010. Um, I'll put it in the show notes page. It starts about the 20 minute mark. It's a 40 minute show, but the, around the 20 minute mark is where the, this, you know, they just discuss this issue. And he raises a, a good point, which I mean, I would say I'll take. I can take a bit of an issue with, but he he does demonstrate that he thinks the criticisms of of Donald McLeod sort of seem to be hypocrisy, and and his claim is, you know, for the let's call it the anti-racist perspective, he's sort of presenting like, well, if we want a diverse and inclusive community the way that they want it. How can we then, you know, criticize prominent people of color or prominent minorities with this authoritarian, he uses the term authoritarian behavior and ideologies of fringe activists like BLM? And so, I mean, he's, it sounded like he was sort of presenting them as being hypocritical, right? How can you promote prominent um, minority voices at the same time you're attacking a prominent minority individual? So, I mean, what what I didn't, you know, what I thought his show could have been a little bit better was getting into the substance of of this issue. His show didn't. I mean, his show more so talked about the criticisms of of Donald McLeod. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've done a pretty decent job of hashing out what the what the issue is a little bit, um, well, as best we can. But I think it's yeah, as as best we can understand it and and try to simplify it. Um, but I think his. Uh, his show and the conversation he has, you know, with his guest definitely sort of demonstrates, a, you know, the other side being frustrated that the attacks on Donald McLeod seem to be more with an ulterior motive than than to be uh, something of substance. Now, I, I would argue that the, 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 the type of claim that's being proposed against him is actually something worthy of investigation. Um, and the reason I say that is, it's. I mean, that said, it sounds like it was dismissed once. So the second one is probably a little bit questionable. Uh, but the first, you know, investigation does seem to be worthy of an investigation. I.e., did the judge use his influence in a manner that was unbecoming of his position? Was he was he doing conflict of interests or or having conflict of interest with his work? One of the articles sort of had this statement where he does a really good job of making a statement like, uh, so this was the, uh, the an article. Desmond, Desmond Cole one? No, it was uh, November 30th. So it was, I think, um, r- November 30th, 2018. So it was right before his case was dismissed mm-hmm. the first time. Basically, some, it was a quote that he had really done a good job of saying like, please don't call me Justice McLeod. I'm not here as a judge. Like, you know, I'm here as an individual promoting this organization. So he was, tr- it seemed like he was trying to go out of his way as like, don't see me as a judge in this role. Don't see me as a judge as I'm, when I'm promoting this organization. Like, this is a personal project, you know. So, because at the same time, 
I, but the way I understand it is he has that job. So no matter what, people are sort of going to see him that way. And so he's almost going out of his way to say, don't, don't mix, you know, these two things. And, and it sounded like that was part of what was recommended to him in order to be able to create this organization while respecting the role that, that he has and the you know appearance of, of objectivity as well as obviously having objectivity in that role um, that's needed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought there was a lot more to the case because, yeah, when I was listening to Jamil and you know first hearing about it he was tweeting about it and posting about it and it seemed pretty urgent and it seemed like a hot topic and it seemed like an open and shut case um you know but when you start to (laughs) when you start to (laughs) read the articles and um really think about the 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 finer points of what exactly is going on uh, you, you know black lives matter potentially has an argument against against justice mcleod cole um desmond cole in his articles uh yo this guy goes in man um he has emails he has text messages he has witnesses <laughs> so when I, when I was going through it i was just like oh shoot wait there's a lot more to the story than um you know black lives matter uh you know being evil villains there could be some compromising going on and so uh you know yeah i was i was yeah i was definitely uh i I got a lot to think about looking at desmond's work especially when he when he was pulling up emails and we'll 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 put the the note the um the articles in the in the show notes page the article is called black tea uh yeah so black tea and then he wrote another follow-up one so Black Tea, the truth about the Federation of Black Canadians. And then he did a follow-up one, um, Steeped Tea, an update on the Federation of Black Canadians. And so, uh, again, uh, just questioning Justice McLeod and his involvement with the Liberal Party. Yeah, it, it definitely, it's not as open-shut case as, um, as I would, as I thought it was going to be. Right. So I guess it raises the question of which is our next question is, is it possible for Justice McLeod to be both judge and advocate? Because that's the accusation Cole is bringing uh, to Judge McLeod. Can he fulfill the job of being a judge and an advocate? And in his article, he says this, my two major beefs, the Federation seems to be uh, uh a thinly veiled front for partisan liberals and it is currently led by justice mcleod whose position as an advocate or as an active ontario court judge raises serious questions about his about ethics and the conflict of interest and then he goes that he brings up uh, the principles of judicial office and he has a link to the principles of judicial office and he says for ontario judges clearly for for Ontario judges clearly state that judges should not be influenced by partisan interests, public pressure, or fear of criticism. Judges should maintain their objectivity and shall uh, not by words or conduct manifest favor, bias, or prejudice towards any party or interest. 
Mm. Right? So, like, as for the role of judges in the community, the principles clearly say that judges must avoid any conflict of interest or the appearance of any conflict of interest in the performance of their judicial duties. And so, given the group's um, objective to advocate on advocate on black Canadians on their behalf with with governments, parliaments, international organizations, businesses, and faith-driven organizations. McLeod's represent resp- respective roles seem extremely likely to raise potential conflicts of interest. Yeah, and I mean it, it's it's a vague term, but but at the same time like the reason I say it's vague is like you know because I'm pro the black community that doesn't necessarily mean i'm going to be you know ruling on a court case that should put someone in jail not in jail right like though that that to me that's why i said it's vague right in that like just because i'm advocating something doesn't inherently give doesn't demonstrate a conflict of interest the other aspect of this would be let's say somehow that organization came into the courtroom well the way to avoid the conflict of interest is if somehow he was assigned to the case he removes himself mm-hmm. right and so the idea of conflict of interest is that you shouldn't be making judgments where you have a vested interest i.e. conflict of interest and i think the simplest example of a conflict of interest that we actually allow um, is real estate and the the conflict that i'm referring to is when you have a real estate agent that does sort of works for both the buyer and the seller that's technically a conflict of interest because the buyer's interest and the seller's interest are opposite yeah but see but part of but normally the just to, to be clear you normally have to sign off that you're aware of that conflict of interest in order to facilitate one agent doing both sides of the deal. So the reason I bring that up is to say that like, you know, that's a simple example of conflict of interest that I think people can, can get, but there are ways that we can work around those conflicts. And so, yes, he's supposed to avoid the appearance of it, but to be part of an organization that is, you know, pro one community or pro, that doesn't inherently demonstrate a lack of objective, you know, objectivity or or um, the existence of conflict of interest when it comes to being a judge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because uh, I I kind of thought there was kind of an ulterior motive for Desmond Cole because you know I, you know I thought you know you know black people were all in this together, and so Desmond Cole says in his article that there's much more to critique about this young federation. For example, the total lack of representation from Canada's Black Lives Matter chapters, who are doing some of the most important and celebrated advocacy in the country, seems too much of an oversight to be an accident. In fact, FBC boasts zero representation from radical black activists across Canada, so many of whom identify as trans, as queer, as disabled, or as women. So, I mean, he does have an agenda. I mean, if you look at his articles, it's on the top right, it'll say, Desmond Cole is an activist, freelance journalist. And and so he has a bias, he has an agenda, right? Like, by calling himself an activist first, he has an agenda. And clearly, he 
I mean, I would argue based on his criticism that they don't have BLM representation mm-hmm. on their board, mm-hmm. he clearly thinks this organization is an obstacle for his activism. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the like I think he's trying to use tokenism as a means to say, hey, they don't have these token items, therefore, how can you consider them credible? Mm-hmm. Right? Like to me, this is where I was frustrated. Even the McLean's article, his stuff, like oh yeah, the McLean's article was 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 pretty rough on him. But it was it to me, it lacked substance. Like if it wasn't showing me, um, you know, and again, maybe I'm new, too numerical, too objective, or too you know uh, analytical is probably the right word. And and you know, if you want to tell me that this organization is a problem, or that they're biased, or that they, you know demonstrate to me some sort of criteria to say here's proof that they're ignoring certain things but you know dealing with others and we think it's because they have an agenda or because they're partisan or because the liberals don't want them to talk about x y and z but we can show you based on let's say some you know arbitrary but but uh, objective criteria that would say you know Based on this organization, there's no reason why they should talk about X, Y, and Z. Now, they do bring up you know, a couple issues, but they don't demonstrate to me that inherently those issues should have been addressed by this group. They just say, well, they didn't talk about X, and this is in the media, so therefore, what are they doing? Like, it's just throwing sort of mud and seeing what slick sticks, as opposed to sort of a you know, journalistic, objective reporting on this organization to say, hey, there's some questions about this organization. Here's what they are based on, you know, some good journalism without the mudslinging. Um, And the reason I say that is because I have a hard time deciphering, are you just being an activist? And you're not, like, you know, so go to the journalist approach. You know, if um, I, I would say... I've heard so many times from, let's say, journalists or people that, you know, movies even about journalistic stories where they set out to tell one story, but because of where the information took them, they told a different story. And so as an activist, is that going to happen? Are you going to follow the the information or the threads that go down a trail that kind of goes against your activism? I would suspect probably not. Now, I can't tell you for sure. I don't know this guy personally. I don't know his, you know, journalistic integrity. But I it sounds like he's an activist first. And that makes me question his journalistic pieces as being comprehensive and objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because when I started like looking at this, uh, when I was reading the articles from the traditional outlets, it covered the judicial legalities of the case. But mm-hmm. I found that the uh, McLean's article got to the heart of the issue mm-hmm. of what's going on. And so in it, um, it says, but her defense of the FBC misses the true critique of the nonprofit. It's not, how they'll fight white supremacy, but rather how indebted to the white supremacist system they already are. This is more like the African-American community versus Ben Carson being named Donald Trump's secretary of housing and urban development. 
and Amberosa Manigault being named director of African-American outreach. So while the black community has seen progress, there remains a collective skepticism aimed at new movements and the tactics they employ to achieve their goals. While activists like Black Lives Matter Toronto have occasionally faced scorn from the community for being too radical, there's also an opposite mistrust of so-called talented 10th activism, which is predicted uh, or predicated on the reliance of the influential and the affluent in our communities to help support the rest of us. So instead of us just helping themselves and um, their ilk, uh, this is a key cornerstone of the current controversy surrounding the FBC. So the very next sentence to me demonstrates the the divide. So um, it says, appearances matter. Who appears to be truly committed to the cause of dismantling white supremacist structures in totality and who appears interested in gatekeeping and faux activism? So, I mean, I would argue they're (laughs) they're presenting this as... You know, I would argue this is a a logical fallacy. It's a false dilemma, right? Because there's no willingness to say maybe the FBC does not consider the concept of white supremacist structures as part of the problem. Uh, I'm I'm saying, my point is, I'm not saying they do or don't. I'm not saying they do or don't. I'm saying the article makes it sound like either they are like this organization clearly is against um, dismantling white supremacist structures. That's that's what they're saying, and I'm saying that one maybe there's a conversation that that FBC would say we think there's you know white supremacy is a problem, but uh, that's not the the best means to achieve our goals, right? Maybe they would say white supremacist cyst structures don't exist and therefore what what are we going to dismantle my point is to demonstrate they're presenting a false dilemma they're presenting it like well either they're against dismantling the faux supremacy or they want to be gatekeepers Mm -hmm. and faux activism right so the point is not so much what's the right position it's the garbage that they're writing that makes it like well either you're against them being, you know, pro the talented 10th or you're with us, right? Like, again, it goes back to this is an activist piece. This isn't journalism. Yeah. Um, and just for the record, uh, I, I believe that the FBC would support the idea of um, systemic racism uh, and so forth. Oh, just to be clear, the talented 10th um, was a book by W.E.B. Du Bois. The Talented Tenth is a term that um, designated a leadership class of African um, descendants of Americans in the 20th century. So the term was created by white Northern uh, philanthropists. Um, Not to be confused with the the Talented Tenth album (laughs) album. (laughs) (laughs) by our intro music artist yeah yeah so that yeah so that yeah so the idea is just emphasizing the necessity for higher education to develop the leadership capacity um among the most able 10 percent of black americans so um judge judge mcleod is unique and 
would be considered part of the talented 10% of um, black people. Um, but I still think that the argument that the young ladies making in the McLean's article is that, yeah, this sounds like um, Martin versus Malcolm, W.E.B. Du Bois versus Booker T. Washington. Um, and that's why I was kind of disagreeing with you, Joel, that, you know, the reality is that, um, you know, there's always been a divide politically between black people. Um, but I think you're right in the sense that um, you, you alluded to earlier to the show that it isn't really necessary left versus right, um, because I would say that both groups are leftists in their ideology um, and they're just kind of arguing for who's the wokest or, or who's going to be the most effective. Yes. Yes. And, and therefore yes. who deserves the funds? Yeah. Who deserves the funds? So then, it, and then, so, so it's, a, it's a scramble from, um, for the scraps for scra scramble for the scraps from the master's table, King Trudeau, right? Just Tinder, just trying to get it done. <laughs> Right. Because like because, because because that's what it boils down to. Right. Because both both, you know, BLM's trying to get something done and FBC's trying to get something done. Um, but I wouldn't I, I think that it's not fair how she's kind of painting um, FBC and, and McLeod to be um, Uncle Tom's uh, <laughs> or, you know what I mean, or not or not woke enough or that. um Judge McLeod and the FBC don't care about black people enough as much as uh, BLM does. And and I think the terms gatekeeping and faux activism sort of summarize mm -hmm, mm -hmm. exactly that, mm -hmm. right? Like you're trying to, it's, you're straw manning your opposition, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And, 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 and I, and I, and I, and I don't, and I don't think that's the case. And I don't, and I don't think that's fair. Um, Cause technically, technically you can make an argument, Desmond Cole, BLM, they're getting what they wanted. Like you want, you want black people in places of influence to make change. Well, you have them, and now you're attacking them, <laughs> right? Because he's not doing it the way you. Yeah, because you're do not it. doing. Now, mind you, yes, yes, there are there are some ethical issues that come into question, but it seems like again, like this is politics, and there's an ulterior motive that that seems to be there, um, where well, you know, he um, Judge McLeod might be taking money out of BLM's pocket for things that they want to do, right? So, okay, so let me ask you this, Joel. What's your two cents on this whole issue? I mean, I, I think this issue sort of demonstrates the problems of, you know, our political discourse today, right? I mean, it, it resorts to, you know, what seems to be one group. Um, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem like FBC is responding at all. And the, granted, I did read something that basically... Judge, it sounded like Justice McLeod said something to the effect of, um, we'll deal with these allegations when the court cases are done and legally we can do so. But, you know, the point I'm trying to get at is, you know, most of our political discourse, whether it's politicians, whether it's, you know, stuff like this, is mudslinging. You know, it's about making the opposition look bad. And, you know, it's 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 a shell game or it's a, you know, it's just foolishness rather than actually let's debate ideas. Let's present ideas. Um, let's have people, you know, again, my answer is let's put these ideas to the community and get them to fund it privately. Um, then you'll really see who's convinced by your ideas. You know, instead, it's a matter of fighting for the governmental force to execute your ideas and agendas uh, as opposed to 
bringing the talented 10th, let's say, um, onto your side to say, hey, help us with your money or help us with your expertise. Um, it's, it's, you know, when you're fighting over the monopoly on force, to some extent, this is what I expect. And, and the reason I say what I expect, I just mean that it's all about who has the control. You know, I, I use this term that the in Canada, basically, the majority rules the minority to their detriment. Um, but the other side of that is that, you know, we don't, you know, in general, this is a more general statement about politics. When it comes to a particular power or a particular control or influence, or let's say policy, if that policy, if the decisions regarding that policy was in your enemy's hands... Would you still want a policy on this to be enacted? And chances are 95% of the time, most people's answer would be no. That tells me that we shouldn't be doing this through government in the first place. Because that means it's only good when we can deem somebody who is morally good to have this control. Or sorry, I should say, when it's someone who I agree with their morals doing this thing, then this is a good idea. Um, and, and so... You know, that's more of a general statement about government that, you know, we, we allow government to do so many things that, hey, guess what? When the blue party instead of the red party's in power, we no longer want government to be doing this. Um, to me, that demonstrates no government should be doing that thing. But anyways, um, I, yeah, as I said, my two cents is that, um, you know, this is just mudslinging. And, and I, I mean, I, I did appreciate sort of the, the legal issue and that, you know, that's that, that issue was being hashed out and that it's something of concern. And that's sort of my analytical slash accounting background and, and the ethics that we deal with in, in the, that profession um, that, that come through. And, you know, I think about it that way. But yeah, the, the Black Tea, the, the, Mal, the McLean's article... I don't know. It was just, you know, frustrating to read because it, to me, it's just, there's so it's, it's a word salad um, to stir up emotions as, you know, more than objective reporting. And, and I know that maybe I'm a little too, you know, boring in that sense where I want to read the facts. I want to read the detail. I don't want to read, you know, sensationalized opinions on things because for the most part, I don't care what your opinion is. Like I care why you have the opinion I don't care, you know, what what your opinion is at the, as much as I care as how you got there and, and, you know, what information can I use to decipher for myself. What about you? What's your two cents? What, uh, what do you think this issue shows us? I think that the main principle that I took away from it, and there was a lot, there was a lot <laughs> to, to read through on this issue. But I think the, the one thing I, I would leave the listener with is the principle of being beyond reproach. And so being beyond reproach, um, we get that concept from um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 to 5, and then to 7. And the idea is Paul is writing to his young disciple, Timothy, who's a pastor in a church, and he holds a prestigious position, a position that... Um, requires ethics and integrity just like uh judge mcleod's position and so in first timothy chapter 3 verse 2 to 5 it says this uh, therefore an overseer which is an elder um, therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not a violent but not violent but gentle not quarrelsome 
not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, uh, keeping his children submissive. Now, this is the key verse, verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so the idea is that, you know, flee, and I'm talking about uh, Judge McLeod, like flee even the appearance of evil. Um, we think about, um, it reminds me of the, this like Billy Graham rule where, you know, Billy Graham to, you know, maintain his integrity, um, he wouldn't, you know, be in an elevator alone with a woman in a car alone with a woman, just because the very appearance of evil um, can bring about accusations on you. So that's why the position of being a judge, being an elder, um, requires the highest integrity. And so you don't want to compromise that. And so now I think that, you know, certain positions come with higher expectations than others, but other jobs come with, I guess, lower expectations than others. So a judge uh, is, an, is like an independent position, but being a politician is like a partisan position. And I don't think the two can mix. So I want to assume the best, Joel. I want to assume that, uh, I want to assume the best. So I think that for uh, Judge McLeod is, like he's a way smarter man than I am. And I assume he knows what he was getting himself into when he started the FBC. I think he thought it through. So I'm guessing he knew um, this move could potentially put his job in jeopardy. So now I hope he didn't think or make the mistake of thinking that just because he's black as a black man trying to help black people, that Black Lives Matter would say that he doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, so like... I love seeing black people fighting each other to help each other. I just think, <laughs> I just think, I just think there's another way to help black people that doesn't involve preaching resistance, then turn around and ask Pharaoh for his assistance. Right? So is it worth it to put your career as a judge on the line for, for philanthropy that might be seen as politics? I don't think so. I think his time uh, would be better served as an advocate on behalf of black people on the bench instead of competing with leftist black people in the political game. And and just to be clear, he did step down uh, from the organization in 2018. And, and 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 but it's in the midst of all of this craziness, right? So, um, but even then, it, but it, even it then. has the appearance. Yeah. It has the exactly. appearance of, of him yeah. um, being sketchy. Um, you know, all the best to him. Um, we'll definitely throw some prayers up for him um, that, you know, um, this whole thing works out because you always you want to see people doing good and helping other people. Um, and you don't want to see people, you know, losing their careers um, because of silly things. So mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, if you look back to you sort of laid it out at the very beginning, right? What caused him to start this organization? And it sounded like, you know, that that incident led him to create this organization, but it also led him to pers to pursue how do I do this in a manner that will avoid the appearance of evil. conflict of interest mm -hmm. or evil. Um, and and so I would say it the, the stepping down to me demonstrates that he tried and realized it wasn't going to work. 
as a, and and so there's wisdom in stepping down, but you could argue his aspirations. Um, he felt like this was the he needed to do it and needed to try. And so I think, I mean, to some extent, he demonstrates when you can't avoid the appearance of evil, you need to step away. Or when you can't avoid the appearance of conflict, conflict of interest, no matter what you do, um, you know, there's a need for this organization. If you want it to continue, you need to move, remove yourself. And so there's wisdom there. Um, but I think, you know, your, your entire sediment is, is true. You know, is it, is it worth risking everything? Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's come a long way and he's come a long way to... And I, I don't want to see him lose it all because his bio says that he immigrated to Canada with his family in 1970 and lived in Regent Park in Scarborough, Ontario, which is subsidized housing. Um, he attended McMaster University, Queens Law School, and was called to the bar in 1998 after practicing criminal and administrative law for 15 years. He was appointed to the bench in 2013. Crazy. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll definitely maybe touch on this again or, or oh, no, well, yeah, we'll definitely have to revisit this again. Um, maybe, when, when maybe more information comes out, it, hopefully it's anticlimactic. Yeah, um, but I don't anticipate that it will be. Um, and, and so, I mean, for the listener, if you know that we missed something or you think that we've, you know, misrepresented something on this topic, feel free to, uh, to email us. Give us a shout, as you can see with a previous episode. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we bring you on if, if you if you got enough to say or if you if that's something you're interested in um, and there's more of a conversation to be had. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, please um, let us know and yeah, let us know what, what you guys think, if there was anything missed and you can contact us at sixcentsreport at gmail.com. If you're trying to get in touch with me, it's Darnell Samuels on Facebook or um, Instagram and Twitter. It's do get a Darnell, D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell. And I'm Tjol N39 everywhere. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and Six Cents Report on Facebook and Twitter. So let us know your two cents. Six Cents Makes Change. But you heard me? Does that make sense? I hear